Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, founders, and thanks for listening to another episode of Category Visionaries. Today, we're speaking with Bob, CEO and founder of Weaviate, a cloud-native, real-time vector database that's raised over $67 million in funding. Bob, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Brett. Great to be here. Not a problem, and I'm super excited about our conversation. Let's go ahead and just kick off with a little bit more about who you are and your background. Yeah, sure. So I'm Bob, as you said. So Bob is the easy part of my name. The rest is Dutch. It has the famous U-I-J-T in there. So in Dutch, you would say Bob Palluit, and that gives away where I'm from. I'm Dutch. And I've been working in software for a long time. And it has to do with the fact that I'm born in 85. So when I was coming of age, I guess, so when I was like around 15, younger even, we got the internet at home. And I very quickly figured out, hey, wait a second, I'm building some skills on the web and people are interested in that. And so I created my first business around the before I was 20, actually. And it was like, it was nothing fancy. It was just, I just sold uh, websites and those kind of things. And then when it was time for me to go to college, I studied music, actually, and in the Netherlands and in Boston. All the time, I was just writing software, basically, to sell websites, e-commerce things, and those kind of things. And then after I was done studying, I decided that I really wanted to go into software. So I started a consulting business. And when I was in the consulting business, I got in touch in, it was around 2014, 2015 with machine learning. And I decided that's what I want to do. And that's what ended up being WeVA today. So that's in a nutshell, my background. Take us back to 2019 when you first were having the idea to start Weaviate. What were those early conversations like? And what was it about Weaviate that made you say, yep, this is it. I'm going to go build this into a business. Yeah. So it was slightly before that because it's important to know that Weaviate is open source. So the open source project existed before we started the business. The original story actually goes back to 2015. So I was working with language models. Today, when you read the news, you read about large language models. Back then, they were like very tiny and they were all often focusing on single words. But one of the things that these models did was that they outputted something called vector embeddings. It's a technical term, but what it basically means that you, in back then, they took individual words and they gave uh, coordinates to these words in space. And that sounds very technical, but it's actually pretty simple if I give you an example. So for example, if you take the two words Eiffel Tower and you combine them together, then the distance between the word Paris was smaller than, for example, a London. And that had to do with the fact that if you read a book or if you read something online, you can kind of see that certain words, they sit together. Chances that Paris is mentioned in the context of the Eiffel Tower is, of course, way bigger than, I don't know, New York is mentioned in the context of the Eiffel Tower. And that's kind of where everything started. So what we see now with these large language models, those kind of things, it all goes back to that moment. It was something called Glove and Fast Text. And one of the things that I figured out was like, hey, wait a second, we can do better search and recommendation with this. And uh, infrastructure that dealt with that did not exist. So uh, that's how we started. Today, we call it a vector database, but back then we didn't even call it a vector database. It was a category that did not exist. And then I was at a Google I.O. conference in 2016, where the CEO of uh, Google, uh, Sandra Pichai, said like, we're going to move from mobile first to AI first. 
And I was like, I know exactly what to do. They're taking these vector embeddings that I've seen in these machine learning models, and they use them for search, for recommendation, page indexing. Of course, I didn't know exactly what they were doing, but I got it immediately. And I just was like, I'm going to start a project that's just going to be a search engine that focuses on doing that, not at the scale of Google, but doing that for any developer at any company at any scale that wants to build with a machine learning tool. And important to bear in mind, Brett, that it took me years to talk about this concept because AI now is very hot, but I can tell you it was not in 2016. <laughs> and it started to come up in, in 2019. And in 2019, we founded the business and we raised money and those kind of things. But there was really some time that I was like traveling through the US, traveling through Europe, even went to Japan, where I was on stage showing people what you could do with machine learning and search. But it took a long time. What prompted you to decide to start the company then in 2019? And in 2016, when you were first starting the project, did you know for sure you were going to build a company eventually? That's a great question. So as a quick preamble to answer the question, I never worked for a boss. So I always had my own businesses, but those were more in software consulting. And someone is like, I want to have a product. I want to build a product business rather than a pure consulting business. Mm -hmm. And when the project started to grow, I was like, this is it. This is the opportunity. This is a product. So I just jumped right in and it was not something that I planned. It just went organic and everything came together. I wanted to have a product business. I wanted to do something in machine learning. And then there was Weviate and it just all came together. I met amazing co-founders. So it was like everything came together. And I was like, this is the moment. We're going to turn this into a product business rather than a uh, consulting business. And as you started the company, what was your mindset in terms of marketing? So I think that marketing is the second most important thing in the business. So I think that the order of importance in building product businesses is product, marketing, sales. And I know that some people have different opinions on that, especially in B2C, it sometimes even starts with marketing. But if you run a B2B business and you sell to developers, marketing is extremely important because you can create the most awesome developer tool around, but if nobody knows that it exists, then nobody's going to use it. And the nice thing of creating a marketing strategies towards developers is that developers are very hard to market, but that's actually, that makes it fun. So there's all these strategies that you can apply and that we're applying at Weaviate to get some mind share of the developers. And what's important to know for your audience is, I don't know if people know this, but the trick in a software business nowadays, as it hasn't always been the case, but is that you try to create a bottom-up approach. And bottom-up refers to bottom-up through the organization. So rather than selling to CTOs and CIOs, you sell bottom-up. So you go to the developers, you make the developers adopt your technology, and they move it up in the organization. And, and all the marketing strategies and those kind of things are built around that go-to-market motion. Tactically speaking, what were some of those early tactics and strategies that you deployed to get the first paying customers? Yeah, so there's a famous strategy, which is called the 3H strategy, or H3, I always mix it up. I believe it's called 3H strategy. And it's a marketing strategy that actually comes from uh, YouTubers. So what you do is that you basically try to create a funnel, and this funnel is created out for influencers. It's called Hero Hub Hygiene Content. And what you basically do is that Hub Content is something that's very wide. For example, let's say that you want to market a eyeliner or something or like a beauty product, then you might hire like a movie star or something like that. And you make sure that people 
see these people associated with your product, even if the product is just simply not mentioned at all. You just want to get a lot of eyeballs. You want to make something very fancy. And then a step lower, you have something called hub content. And then hub content, you might zoom in on what's in the hero content. And you say, hey, actually, the eyeliner that this person is wearing or whatever beauty product you have is our product. And then hygiene refers to the fact that you explain how to apply the eyeliner and those kind of things. And the idea is that top down, that means that with hero content, you just try to get to a lot of eyeballs. With hub content, if people are interested, you show them how they can do something with your product. And the hygiene part is basically the people who are already sold to your product, show them how they can use it. And it turns out that this YouTuber strategy works very well for software. So what we have, for example, at Weaviate is, I'll give you two examples, we have a podcast. So with the podcast, we just talk to people, invite people who anybody has something important to say in the space of AI, they're like guests on our podcast. So that can be people that create the models, that can be people who create tooling, that can be researchers, that can be business people. Anybody has something to say. Maybe the name Weaviate is only mentioned maybe in the intro, or you can only see it in the logo. What happens there is that you fetch a lot of eyeballs. People are very interested in it, but it's just associating yourself with that space, in this case of AI. And we do that in content on social media too. So you will see a lot of Weaviate content uh, that's on the wider space of AI. And, you know, Weaviate is somewhere in there, but it might be just radically mentioned. Then hub content goes a step deeper where we tell people like, hey, if you want to build something like this or you want to do something like we've just shown you in these, we've talked about in the podcast of what you've seen on the social media posts, this is how you build it yourself. And then, of course, that's why we show how you do that with Weaviate. And then the hygiene part is something we have in Weaviate that we call, for example, the academy. And in the academy, people really learn to work with the database in detail. But those are people who are already sold on using the database or maybe still in POC phase, but very close to being sold on using the database. And that marketing strategy, that works very well for a software. How do you think about measuring the ROI of the podcast? Obviously, I'm a big fan of podcasting and a lot of the companies that I work with and the conversations I have, there's always concerns about ROI, ROI, ROI. So how do you think about ROI when it comes to your podcast efforts? Yeah, so what I just shared is we could see that as a big funnel. As I always like to say, I just see it as an extension of the funnel. And how we measure success with that is the success really at the top of the funnel, so that can be through the podcast, that can be through content that we're creating, is mostly measured through shares, likes, and those kind of things. Because it's very hard to measure it in the form, like if a dollar comes in and that somebody goes, oh yeah, four months ago, I saw this social media post or I saw this, I listened to this podcast and you came on my radar and now therefore I'm buying right now. That's not how it works. I often compare it more with um, these soap commercials we saw back in the days or <laughs> these toilet paper commercials. There were so many of them, but the thing was the moment that you had to buy soap or toilet paper in the supermarket, you associated the brand with something that you knew. So I have a lot of people that come to me and say, oh, we love the WeVid podcast or, oh, we love the posts that you guys put out, but they haven't bought anything yet, not even a competitor, just nothing. But now there's this brand awareness. So at this top of the funnel, I am perfectly fine with the fact that it's also an investment in brand awareness, but what we measure is things like retweets, likes, engagement, signups to our Slack channel, signups to free sandboxes and those kind of things. It is more if you go a little bit further down in that H3 funnel. So if you go to the hub and especially to the hygiene content, 
then it's way easier to measure. So everything that's really top of funnel of that marketing funnel, I'm okay with just experimenting and just not being sure how certain things will work out. But the further you go down in the funnel, the more clear it becomes what the ROI is. What about building your marketing team? What does the marketing team look like today? And then where did it begin? Who were some of those first marketing hires that you made? Yeah, so at Weviate, I'm taking the liberty to look at marketing in the broad sense of the word. We have three teams that are doing something related to marketing. So one team is what we call the developer growth team. Another team is what we call the developer relations team. And the other team we call just the marketing team, but that's more product marketing. Now, what these three teams do is that the developer growth team focuses on winning new users, right? So the idea is like getting people in, making people aware that our developers in this case, making developers aware that we exist telling developers, hey, this is what you can build. Hey, you want to do this cool AI stuff. This is how you can do it and so on and so forth. They build example applications. They make videos, they make the podcast, they make content, all those kind of things. The focus is on quantity, just as much as we can, capturing as much mindshare as we can. Then the second team that we have is the developer relations team. The developer relation team focuses on developers that have already decided that they probably want to work with Weaviet. So here it's more of focus on quality, if you will, in the sense that the content that we're creating for them, that comes in the form of the software documentation, that comes in the form of, we have um, the Weaviet Academy, those kind of things, the certain blog posts that people really can go into depth if they're building AI apps. And then the marketing itself is focusing more on product marketing. So for example, Last year in, it was in November, I believe, or early December, there was this really big conference in Las Vegas from uh, Amazon or from Amazon Web Services, I should say, Amazon reInvent. And that is one thing that the marketing team focuses on. And they all work in harmony together. And that's how I've structured marketing as a whole inside Weaviate. What about thought leadership? How do you think about thought leadership in terms of your marketing efforts and go-to-marketing efforts? It's very similar to that H3 model or 3H model. I'm very much a guy who likes to think in the form of models. So everything that I can't model out, I like. What do I mean with that? So let's take myself, right? What I'm doing right now on a meta level, this podcast right now, that is an example of hero content, right? It's me as the founder of VVA talking about developer marketing and your audience will listen to this and it's helping us with brand awareness. Like, hey, this is what's happening in the AI space. This is what these folk are working on. And it's gonna be harder to measure how that might play out, but it's a way to reach an audience, right? It's building brand. In two weeks from now, I'm gonna be at a big conference speaking in New York. It's called the Data Driven uh, New York, I believe. Something like that, might be wrong, but something like that. There, I'm more gonna talk about our technology. I'm gonna give demos and those kind of things, but it's a pretty big audience there. That's hub content because that audience is really there to learn about AI. They might want to engage with a product. They might need it for their day-to-day job. And hygiene might be something, and I have to admit that I don't do that much anymore, but in that 3H kind of context, that would be just me sitting with a customer. I said, okay, show me your problem. Let me show you how we can help. And then we really dive in. Or you could do that in a meetup or on a panel or in a video and those kind of things. Back in the day when the company was smaller, I did all these things. Now I focus more on hub content, but that's how I do it. And I also write articles about business building on Forbes and those kind of things. That is a way just, just a form of thought leadership in the wider sense of the word. So not only about what we do as a business, not only about AI, but also 
software business building and those kind of things. And one of the things that I always, what I do too, is that sometimes, for example, people invite me at universities or something to talk to the students. And then I always ask for it to be recorded. Because if the talk is recorded, we can publish it on, for example, YouTube, and then it has a marketing function again. So it's constantly looking at like, okay, what I'm doing, where does that sit in that 3H strategy and how can it help the business? What about your market category is the actual... This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. What about your market category? Is the actual category vector database, or what's the category? Yes, it is. And this is something that has been one of the most fun things in my career right now. So Vector Database is a subcategory of the database market and the database market itself is a submarket of software infrastructure. And that's exciting because it's kind of an invisible category because it's not like, I don't know, Coca-Cola that you see it everywhere, right? But the thing is the software and technology is so omnipresent that these markets are enormous. They're gigantic. And what is so much fun to do is that the moment that machine learning slash AI took the stage, if you will, there was this opportunity for all these new infrastructure companies, including in the database space. So we're not only creating a new product that we want to position, but together with our competitors, we're also creating a new category. And that's maybe one of the most fun things I've done when it comes to marketing in my career until now. Our audience loves to learn about growth and any numbers and metrics that you can share. So is there anything that you can share that just highlights the growth and traction that you're seeing today? Sure. So let me share how we do that. So I don't have the exact numbers in my head, but now we've got like a couple of millions of downloads because we're open source. So that's where it starts, right? Those are not customers, but those are users. And so the difference between a user and a customer is that, as I always like to say, a user uses your product, but the customer has a dollar going from their bank account to your bank account. So a customer is always a user, but a user does not have to be a customer. But that's now in the, there's a couple of million, if I had to say from the top of my head, four or five. One of the things that we did that we launched last April, so this last than a year ago, was our serverless offering, and we have a enterprise offering. And internally, we call our serverless offering, we call that our retail customers. That's because these developers, they behave like retailers. They spin stuff up, they shut it down, and those kind of things. They want easy access at the swipe of a credit card. And then we have our enterprise customers, and those are more sophisticated, bigger deals where people want to have certain deployments of the database. And that really took off. We launched the product just after ChatGPT was launched because it was in November 2022. Two, I believe, if I say this correctly. And we launched our paid product in April 2023. And so we were right in the slipstream of that. And that's all going very well. So you're talking to a very happy, least uh, founder. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I like talking to happy founders. Yeah. Now, you reflect on this growth and all the success that you and the company have had. What do you think you've really gotten right? If you had to choose like one big thing. People. How'd you get the right people? Oh, that's an excellent question. And that's a good question. I need to think about the answer. So let me try to get to an answer. Let me try to think out loud and get to an answer because it's an excellent question, but it's also a very complex question. I very early on figured out like, oh boy, if I want to do this right, I need amazing people. 
because I just can't do all this stuff alone. I mean, I have strong opinions, but they are very loosely held. <laughs> and sometimes I meet people in my space that are so smart or so creative. So I was like, I need to somehow work with these people. And I was a little bit helped by the market because AI is now, of course, very hot. So that's for certain people an attractive market to work in. But the question for me became like, how do I do that, right? How do I find the right people and build the right team? Because again, these kind of things, you can't do them alone, right? And one thing that I got convinced about is that it's important to me that people enjoy working at the company. So a word like fun or like having fun in building the company is extremely important. And so I just met these great people and I just, you know, try to give them a very warm welcome in the company and that worked very well for them. And I, later on, I started to really double down on that. So for example, from the company values that we have, the first company value that we have is kindness. Because one of the things that I learned, especially when competition became more fierce and of course we had certain targets and certain goals and those kind of things. One of the things that I learned was sometimes that was also tough, right? So it's like, it's not always easy. So if I would tell people to have fun or to be happy or whatever, right, that was kind of shallow because I was like, I can say that, but I, of course I can't look into people's minds. And then all of a sudden it struck me that I was like, well, there's this one thing that sits in the vicinity of all these words. And that is like being kind or kindness. And I was like, because kindness is something you don't receive. It's something you give. And I really started to double down on that. So it's like, we have to be kind to each other, to our customers, to our community, but also to our competitors and the people that we engage with. And so what started to happen is that we started to build this amazing group of people that really live by that. So we get emails from customers. Recently, I got a text message from a customer that I actually, with permission, tweeted out where somebody literally, a customer asked me like, why is everybody in your company so kind? And that is how I've been doing it. And now to your question, so how did I find these people? I think that people see that. So the language we use, the way that we, well, market our product, people see that that's who we are, how we behave. And that attracts people. We have received hundreds, if not thousands of resumes of people who want to work at the company. So that's how I've been doing it. Not sure if that answers your question, but that's how I've been doing it. It's a complex question and I think there's not easy answers. So I think that was a very useful answer, you know, given the complexity of what I asked. Now, let's imagine, Bob, that I come to you and I say, okay, Bob, I'm going to start a startup. I'm going to target developers. What would be the number one piece of marketing advice that you'd give me before I begin on that journey? Help people be successful in what they want to build. Don't push your technology, help them be successful using your technology. There's so many examples that I can give, and that includes ourselves, where we've been doing it wrong, so that you want to push your technology, but you should do it the other way around. What is the problem that somebody's trying to solve? How can your technology help achieve that? And you want to become very sophisticated in this, not only in conversations or when you give demos, but in the content that you're writing, in the videos that you're making. The key word here is help. Help people be successful with whatever they're trying to solve. And don't try to please everybody, right? It's fine if people, if you say, okay, you know, I have a problem, but it turns out I don't need your product. That's fine. And then you just introduce them to another product or another solution. But the thing is, focus on helping. As I mentioned there in the intro, you've raised over 67 million to date. What have you learned about fundraising throughout this journey? What have I learned about fundraising? One of the things that I've been, so I've only had one pitch deck in my life and that was for our seed round and all the other rounds came very organic, organically. That is not to be confused that people just randomly wire money. That's not how it works. 
<laughs> but I started to build these relationships very early on. Sometimes we talk like over a year. So the company or the firm who led our last uh, investment round, that's a, that's a firm called Index. And the investor, Aaron, she wrote a beautiful blog post about how we've met in San Francisco, how we talked about open source, about business building. And it was like over a year before the investment. So what starts to happen is, you know, you have these conversations, you stay in touch, you communicate with each other, you meet each other to different companies, and then you get to this state where it becomes very logical to work together. It's like, all right, now it makes a lot of sense to work together. And so to your question, what I've learned is that if you need to force it too much, there's something wrong in that it can be your product, it can be your go-to-market, it can be your market, it can be anything, but then there's something off. It should not take too much friction. If there's too much friction, there's something wrong. And that can also, by the way, that could also be the founders. <laughs> Sometimes people go like, hey, I have this great product, why I'm not raising any money. And then, well, you know, it's you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not the products. My point is sometimes you also want to look in the mirror. I love it. All right, Bob, final question, since we're almost up on time here, let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's this big picture vision that you're building? So as I mentioned before, we have database technology, that's a form of infrastructure. And I am convinced that AI in the broad sense of the word will not only be something that's like sprinkled over products that you and I use today. No, 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 it will be at the heart of these products. So almost nobody is building new products without AI today. We need to have what I like to call AI native infrastructure for that, right? So we view it as an AI native database. That means we help you be successful building AI native technologies. So yes, today we focus a lot on the database because that's how we started. That's where all our customers are coming from, but we want to grow into this AI native platform where we enable developers. Doesn't matter what size company you work for. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. If you're a developer that wants to build AI native applications, we want to be here to help from the infrastructure level. And that's what was it three to five years from now, the future of WeViet. Amazing. Love the vision. And I've really loved this conversation. We are up on time, so we'll need to wrap here. Before we do, if there's any founders that are listening in that want to follow along with your journey, where should they go? So I'm very active on LinkedIn, Twitter slash X, but people can also reach out to me over email. It's just pop at weviate.io does wonders. I love to hear from founders. And if I can help, sometimes it takes a lot of time, but I try to always respond. <laughs> Amazing. Bob, thanks so much for taking the time. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, Brett. Appreciate it. No problem. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 